she fell off stage, for those of you that couldn't see, just not, not by any help of me at all. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. So glad you're here. We're in this series that we're calling A Beautiful Mess, and we're talking about relationships. Uh, last week, this week, and next week, I'm specifically talking about parenting type stuff, but we're talking about all relationships. Um, this Friday night, I want to invite you to our third date night. Now, here's the deal with date night is uh, this is not a counseling session. This is not for messed up marriages, although if your marriage is messed up, show up. This is not just to celebrate the great marriages. If you have a great marriage, you show up. Uh, We will celebrate you if you say, we're great. But it is just a night that we are blocking out as a community, and Friday night, it's 6.30 to 9.30. That sounds like, oh, dude, that's a seminar. I could have a serious nap. Um, But here's the deal. At 6.30, the lobby opens up, all kinds of food. We've got photo booths happening in the lobby, some different things you can do, preparing for Valentine's Day. Men, we're going to give you some things to do. Uh, this is the photo booth. This is Kathy and I. I have both of these. I, from each night we've done, I've saved these as kind of mementos of date night. We come in here at about 7 o'clock till about 7.50, just about 50 minutes, and I'm calling it a shot in the arm for your marriage. And I'm going to talk to you for a short amount of time. We have some other things happening during that time to give you some stuff to talk about. Then we're sending you out on the date night. Now, for those of you that don't have kids, you can date all night long. Doesn't matter. Go to town. For those of you that have kids, you need to be back at 9.30, which is still pretty awesome. And that we, we as a church community, are going to take care of your kids uh, while, while you're gone. Because we want to we do everything we can throughout the year to help marriages win. All right? So here's my goal. My goal is that eventually this thing is going to be sold out. So you know us Southern California people, especially South Orange County, like, I don't know if I'm going to go or not. We'll see. We'll see if something better comes up. In the future, that ain't going to work because you're going to be like, oh, I should have signed up. This Friday you can do that because we probably won't sell out. But... <laughs> Go, you can uh, sign up outside uh, after the service to reserve your spot. If you need child care, and we're going to provide it for you, you have to go online and do that because you have to fill out some liability and social security number and, you know, give your house away. Uh, but that's all happening there. All right. We are picking up part two, 10 things kids need from caring adults. I'm going to build on what I talked about last week. If you weren't here last week, oh, you missed it. No, you can go online and listen to that to be kind of caught up because I'm going to build on those relationship principles. I will say that we said, let's start with the end in mind. What would it look like if kids that grew up in our homes at the very end, you can look in your notes, had a sense of confidence and character and convictions and compassion and competence. Last week, I defined each of those and say, what if we made that our end goal? Because really, it goes by so fast. I have three kids, 25, 22, 19. It feels like it was just yesterday that we were in the hospital giving birth to them. When I say we, I had something to do with it. But uh, we, we were there, and it went by very, very fast. This is my middle child, Cody, in 1992, bouncing on my rock-hard stomach at the time. And then I blinked, and Cody graduated high school. He went away to college to play football at the end of the first semester, he sent me and Kathy a text and said, Mom and Dad, I feel God is calling me to do something radical with my life. I want to drop out of college and go serve in Africa. Before you shut me down, please pray about it. He used the prayer card on the pastor. You know, that's, 
can tell he's a pastor's kid. Long story short, my son dropped out of college to go serve orphans and street kids in, um, in Africa. My son is the one on the left. And um, he did that for uh, seven months. And it's weird that you, you'd raise your kids to have convictions and to follow the teachings of Jesus. And then when they actually want to follow the teachings of Jesus and it doesn't fit in your plan for them, <laughs> Son, you sure you want to do I, You know, dropping out of call. I'm not, you know, it, it, it wasn't what I dreamt up for him. But he's made up the time. He's actually graduating this, this summer. And uh, last month, he recently started taking flying lessons, which um, is another. I think we have a picture of that. Yeah, which is another thing that I would not have chosen for him. <laughs> last week was his first solo which means he went up all by himself. That's the picture at the top. And I've had chronic diarrhea ever since um, that, that moment. But kids who are, who are raised with this sense of confidence, kids who are, are strong in character, they have their set of convictions that actually express themselves in compassion. They will become competent to not take up space on this planet, but become competent to use the gifts and skills that God has given them to make a difference in this world. They may not fit your American dream, Mom and Dad. They may not want to live behind a white picket fence with 2.3 children. They want to do something meaningful and impactful, and it may break your mold, something that you didn't dream for them, like flying planes or moving thousands of miles across the world to uh, care for those who are less fortunate. This, uh, this picture that I have of my son is one that I just go, it makes me so proud as a dad that he didn't, he didn't go in the direction that I chose for him. He followed God's lead. My wife doesn't like me showing this one because she thinks people think that's a cigarette in his mouth, and it's, it's not a cigarette. It's a joint. As I said last week, there is um, there's no perfect parent. All right, there's no perfect parent. There's no one parenting formula that fits for all of us. That's gonna that's gonna work. Uh, There's no silver bullet. What I'm asking us to do is to say, parents, let's do the possible. I don't care how old your kids are. Let's do the possible. And put our faith in God that he will do the impossible. And as we talk about the possible, what I'm doing is I'm giving you 10 actions that I think all kids need from caring adults. Whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a mentor, a coach, a teacher, a neighbor, an aunt, or an uncle. If you have a kid in your life, this is what they need from you as a caring adult. It's not going to guarantee success, but what we're trying to do is enhance the odds. Last week, I said you need ongoing belief in your role as a caring adult. I said they need ongoing affection, and you need encouraging words. Again, if you missed it, pick it up online and and listen to it. The fourth thing that I think all kids need from caring adults is what I call serious fun. Serious fun. And for some of you, you're like, Doug, really, that that makes your top ten list? Yeah. You know why? Because today's generation of kids are totally stressed out. Why are they stressed out? Because it's a faster-paced society than what you grew up in. But really, the primary reason, truth be told, is that 
They're stressed out because their parents are driven. And their parents are putting pressure on them to perform and succeed because successful kids make parents feel better about themselves. And when a kid can grow up in an environment of fun and laughter and play, what it does is it releases their anxiety. It actually helps diminish their fears. And it lessens their hostility and their anger. And like last week when we talked about we're looking at biblical principles, many from the book of Proverbs, I want to return to the book of Proverbs because we find this here. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 22, it says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. See, we're told that a joyful heart is good for us both physically and also emotionally. In Proverbs 15, it says, A glad heart makes a happy face. I realize that all of us in here are not followers of Jesus. Some of you are here investigating, you're curious, you're wondering, you've been invited. We're thrilled, thrilled, thrilled that you're here. But for those of us who have chosen to align our lives by both the person and the teachings of Jesus, I believe we ought to be the ones who actually model fun. But for some reason in our Christian culture, we have come to believe that the more serious we are is the more mature that you are. The more serious you are is the more spiritual that you are. But the truth is, the more serious you are, the more boring you are. Okay? I know a lot of boring Christians, and so do you. See, the opposite of funny is not serious. The opposite of funny is unfunny. Okay? So I put this in your notes, and it's my direction to you as parents. Parents, you need to lighten up and schedule some fun. Lighten up and schedule fun. See, because if you were to read in the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes lets us know that there are necessary rhythms in life. And two of the necessary rhythms in life that it talks about in the book of Ecclesiastes is laughter and dance. What it says is that if you really want to become fully alive, that if, if, you, if you want to live abundantly, meaningfully, joyfully, you have to dance and you have to laugh because those are necessary rhythms of life. Now, personally, I'm glad God put laughter and dance because I don't do a very good job dancing. And so I can, I can live with laughter. I just, if it was just dance, I'd be in trouble because my dances are ugly. Uh, I avoid them when I do dance in public. People typically call the paramedics. They think something's wrong with me. But, you know, laughter, what a great value. And by the way, if you're visiting, you are at a church that, that values laughter. Now, we're very serious when it comes to Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, but we don't take each other very serious because we all know we're a bunch of screw-ups, right? And I'm personally, I'm 100% confident that, that Jesus laughed. Now, I cannot, I cannot show you a verse in the Bible where it says that, you know, Jesus sat at the campfire and cracked jokes you know, hey, you guys, did you hear the one about the Pharisee, the tax collector, and the rabbi? You know, I, 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 can't, I can't show you this. But the reason I'm confident 
that Jesus laughed is because the Bible says that Jesus was 100% God and 100% human all at the same time. And humans laugh. And think about it. I mean, if you read about Jesus, he had plenty to laugh at. I mean, he hung around with knuckleheads. I mean, I got, I got to believe Peter said something really funny that Jesus laughed so hard he, he snorted. Okay? And, and Andrew called him out. You guys, you hear that? Jesus just snorted. And when I say that for some of you, you're like, Doug, I just, I don't, I don't think that's accurate. I just, I, I, don't, I don't think that would be true. Okay, so what do we, Jesus probably said, thou art funny. Peter, they, um, I delighteth in thy jesting, and you maketh me laugh so hard I snorteth goateth milk out of my nose. You know, whatever. Friends, if you believe that Jesus never laughed or never smiled or never used humor, you have an inadequate view of God. And it's that view of God that people are either drawn to or they run from. And parents, I just want to say to you, you got to lighten up. you got to schedule some fun. And I realize when I say schedule fun, that, that is, it may seem like an oxymoron, but it needs to happen in your house. The reason I chose schedule is because I want to communicate to you that, yes, there are fun things that happen spontaneously, but you've got to look at your calendar. And you've got to say, okay, when are we going to schedule it into our, what are we going to do? And maybe Monday nights is, is fun night, and we've got, got to get this vacation. We're going to do this together as a family. Because it, you know, people say to me, Doug, you, you know, you're funny, so it must happen naturally. No, it doesn't happen naturally. And two, I'm not just naturally funny. I use humor when I teach because I know that keeps you awake. Okay? But it's hard work to figure out what is actually going to be funny to a lot of people. I have to scare. People actually, people are disappointed when they meet me off stage. I mean, there have been people like, oh, I kind of expected you'd be funny in person. And I don't ever know what to say. I just say, it's my day off. You know, I'm sorry. I actually thought you'd be better looking up close. So, you know, we got that going for us. So I'm just like you. i got to figure out, how do I infuse fun into my home? Because I want your kids to grow up with play and laughter and adventure and, and giggle and laugh. Because here's the deal, and I promise this to you. If they don't have it in your home, they're going to seek it out. They're going to seek out fun and play and laughter, and they're going to find it elsewhere. They will find it. It just may not be the healthy type that you would appreciate. Make sense? Kathy and I are convinced that one of the reasons that our older age children come back to our house a lot and hang out at our house is, you know, one, we pay for the food. Uh, but you know what? We worked really, really hard as they were little to try to infuse fun and laughter and joy into our family. And I want to encourage you to give this some serious consideration, to ask the question, where is the fun in our, in our house? Now, because for some of you, this may feel like a shallow idea, but I'll tell you, it's very, very deep, and it has the power to change your kids' lives. 
The fifth thing that I think all kids need from caring adults is what I call delicate discipline. And when I was a new dad, discipline was really rough for me. I didn't have mentors. I didn't have people to help me with this. I was just kind of learning on the go. And so, you know, when my kids would act demon-possessed, you know, I, I didn't know you weren't supposed to lock in my room with a juice box and a jug of licorice. Uh, so I, have, I had a lot of questions related to discipline, but I know what the Bible teaches about discipline, so I was always trying to hang on to that, and I want to pass that on to you. See, biblical discipline is guidance with love, not punishment and anger, okay? Guidance with love, not punishment and anger. If you want to read Hebrews chapter 12 on your own, you you can see this. But you don't love your child if you don't provide discipline. Actually, it goes like this. Discipline and love go hand in hand. One of the ways that we express love is with discipline, and I'm adding a modifier to it. Delicate discipline. Look what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 3. My child... Don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. You see, discipline is an act of love. For those of us in here who are Christians, you've said, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower of Jesus. You can't be a disciple without discipline in your life. Discipline is key. Now, when I look at kids who are out of control... All right, you've, you know what I'm talking about, kids that are just out of control. I don't think, what a punk, I can't believe that kid, what an awful kid. Here's what I think. Where are the parents? Where are the significant adults in that kid's life? Are they, are they absent? Are they clueless? In Proverbs chapter 29, it says, To discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. Now, let me give you a couple warnings that you might write down if you're taking notes. The first is this, is you need to be cautious. You discipline with caution. Bodies are fragile. Yes, we know that. But spirits are more fragile. The warning that we're given in Ephesians 6, now a word to you parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up in the loving discipline the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. Scolding and nagging, making them angry and resentful. You want to make your kids resentful? You want to push your kids away from you? If you do, then operate in the two extremes. Extreme over here is over-discipline, you go intense with it. Or the other extreme is you provide no discipline at all. Anytime you operate in the extremes, you, you lose. And as somebody who spent his whole life, his adult life, working with kids and writing and speaking to, to parents, uh, as a, what I would call myself as a kid advocate, I beg you, don't discipline in anger. It, it doesn't work. It just, it's awful. Now, I'm not suggesting that you won't ever get angry. Of course you'll get angry. It'd be stupid of me to say that you wouldn't get angry. What I am suggesting is you learn to discipline and not be angry. There's a big difference. If you want to see discipline and anger in action, go to any fast food restaurant that has a playland. Okay? I go to those a lot because I, I office out. I do my work in, in fast food restaurants because I can afford the food and I can refill my iced tea. And... Uh, 
And you go there and you watch, you know, you watch yanking and slamming and pushing and yelling. And that's just from the parents who can't get their McCoffee. Uh, but no, seriously, you, you, some, you want to see a psycho kid, you go to a McDonald's playground land. And then and when I see the type of discipline that I see is not discipline as an act of love. It's actually discipline for the sake of compliance. That's, that's not loving discipline. See, angry discipline results in humiliation, embarrassment, violence, and it produces angry kids. See, when you discipline in anger, they don't hear your words, but they sense your spirit. And when you lose control, they lose respect. And ultimately, they will become angry themselves. So, parents, please, yelling doesn't work. I don't know how else to say it. It just, it doesn't work. There is no social science research that points to yelling being an effective way. There are other ways to communicate, okay, that, that don't wound and scare and shame your children. Now, let's be honest. We've all blown it, okay? We've all blown it, including myself, and there are things that I regret and I'm ashamed of. I actually have a book in my bookshelf. I don't know why I keep it because it's the stupidest title in the world. It's called Regret-Free Parenting. There's no such thing. Okay? You, you're going to have regrets. And the hard part for me is the memory that I have of seeing my kids. And it wasn't a look of remorse like, oh, Daddy, I'm sorry I did that. It was a look of fear. And... Perfect love casts out fear. When we love our kids, we don't want them to grow up with a sense of fear. So when I would occasionally lose it and then, you know, kind of go to my wife for support, she'd be like, you blew that. Get out of the way while I, you know, try to pick up the pieces. Now, some of you will say, well, Doug, you, you know, have you not read the Old Testament? You know what it says? Spare the rod, spoil the child. Yeah, people have been using that verse out of context to, as a license to beat kids for a long time. What you need to understand is the text in the Hebrew, the, the word rod, spare the rod, spoil the child, and people think, oh, you've got to spank them. A rod was used by a shepherd, and a shepherd would use a rod to guide the sheep, not beat the sheep, Okay. <laughs> The rod would guide to keep the sheep on the right path, to keep the sheep out of, out of the, the lion's you know, den, away from harm. That's why you know, King David says in the 23rd Psalm that you're all familiar with, thy rod and thy shaft, they comfort me, not beat me. <laughs> now, I'm not making a statement on spanking, pro or con. You figure it out. Whatever works for you, here's what I'm suggesting. In whatever you decide... You must be delicate. You be cautious. Second thing I want you to write down is to be wise. And this is my way of saying, think it through. Parents, you don't have to provide discipline right away. Okay? It's not like you're a traffic cop and you've got to get them right there. No, you can, you can delay the discipline so your anger delays. I grew up in a house where... Um, where my dad spanked with a belt. And he would snap the belt, fold it over, and then snap it. Anybody else have that one? The snapping? Oh, a lot of us in here. My dad even had a hose that he would use. There, he, had a, he had a few methods of spanking. So when he was mad, 
he would say, Douglas, go get me something to hit you with. (laughs) And what I realized, I mean, I'm not a bright person, but what I realized is the longer I took to go get something, the better it was for me because it gave him time to cool down. So when I would return, you know, three days later uh, with a pillow, you know, things just went so much, much better, all right? So wisdom says, regardless of the situation, regardless of the situation, I'm going to stay calm or find a way to get calm. Two, I'm going to work hard to make sense, to be wise, but I'm going to bring discipline regardless of their response. I think that personally, if you want my opinion, I think the best discipline is what I call discipline by choice. I put it in your notes, but it's also up on the screen. Discipline by choice is a fair consequence, clearly communicated ahead of time, connected to the offense. Uh, maybe if you're taking notes, I'd write no surprises off to the side. That the, the kid shouldn't have any, any surprises there. Now, what, what this does is it's, it doesn't set you up against your kid. Most discipline is this, me as the parent against my kid. But if it's agreed upon ahead of time, and it's, and it's clear what happens is, and there's fair and natural consequences, what happens is it's me and my kid against the consequence. And there's a big difference. Now, you need to figure this out in your context, what it means for your age-appropriate kids. But like when my kids, you know, most recently, again, 25, 22, 19, so let me go to when they were in high school. And my daughter, we, we had curfew. So my daughter, let's just say she breaks curfew. Well, a lot of parents meet their kids at the door screaming and yelling and shaming and threatening. For Kathy and I, we, we played it different. We would answer the door and go, oh, gosh, I'm so glad you're safe. You know how much we love you. And when you didn't come in on time, we were just getting a little bit nervous because normally you make such you know, great choices. And then I, I started to get sad for you. <laughs> because I know how much you like to go out on Friday nights, and now the next three weeks you have to stay in with me and Mom. And I just, I just feel so bad, but... You know, I figured you took all that into consideration because, you know, you knew that all choices have, have consequences. And now, no matter how well you say it, your kids are still going to get mad. I mean, I've never had one of my kids go, you know, Dad, you're right. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, the way that you established clear boundaries and I knew what the measured consequence was and I evaluated my decision and Dad, you're really an excellent father. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. That, that never happened. But what it does is it keeps me from being an idiot, from yelling and screaming and shaming and posturing. For many parents, the most difficult part of this is enforcing. And if you can't enforce delicate discipline, you're never going to be an effective parent. And that, that's a biggie. Because if you don't, your kids are never going to become responsible. And that's the sixth thing that all kids need from caring adults is they need activated responsibility. Activated responsibility. When people find out that I'm an advocate for kids, you know, whether it's a radio interview or promoting a book or something like that, people will say, um, 
Doug, why do you think today's young people are so irresponsible? Okay, it's a fair question, but nobody likes my answer. <laughs> because I always say, oh, it's easy. It's your fault. And they're like, you know, what do you mean? It's, it's my fault. Yeah, it's your fault that kids are irresponsible. The reason it's your fault is because responsibility is not genetic. Responsibility must be taught and it must be modeled. And I think this one is one of the biggies to get us to the five C's that we've, we've been talking about. And the way, if you're kind of going, how do I know if my kid's irresponsible? I call it the ABCs. A stands for apathy, where they just go, I just don't care about being responsible. B is blame. It wasn't my fault. It's the stupid teacher. It's the lame coach. It's my dumb parents always blaming everybody else. The C is what I call the care for me mentality. You know, and I've been cradled my whole life. It's not that big a deal. Somebody will save me from this. They'll figure, they'll, they'll figure it out. Think about today's generation of kids. When they grow up, what are they going to say to their kids and their great-grandkids about growing up in today's culture? Like my, my dad would always talk about, you know, son, when I was your age, I had to walk to school uphill both ways in the snow, barefoot, on razor blades. I mean, you know, whatever it was, you just, you know, what is today's kid? Well, you know, when I was your age, I, if I was hungry, I had to, I had to talk to a dietitian. And, uh, you know, one time my parents made me supervise the house cleaner. That was, that was rough. Uh, you know, so parents, how are we contributing to this? Let's, let's at least hold up the mirror and say, okay, how are we contributing to kids being irresponsible? Which, by the way, if you look at culture, the average age of marriages used to be in the early 20s. Now they're in the late 20s. There's a new term coming out called extended adolescence, that adolescence is moving into the late 20s because people are not growing up. They're not taking responsibility for, for themselves. So how might we be contributing to that? Well, a couple ways. One, always picking up after kids when they're little, not making them responsible. I think when it comes to money, we make money easily available and not valuable enough um, by telling kids they can do no wrong, that it's not their, sweetheart, the reason you got a bad grade is because your teacher is just inexperienced, okay? You know, buddy, I don't know why you're sitting on the bench. I mean, you're the best athlete on that team. I mean, your coach, your coach just can't identify talent. And by saving them from consequences. And this isn't just an Orange County thing. I see this all over the place. But we, we need to allow our kids to experience some of the pain that goes with poor choices. So, for example... When the school calls and says, your kid forgot their lunch, what do parents do? Oh, my gosh. I'll get it there right away. Because I don't want my child to starve. Not just starve. I don't want my kid to starve to death. I know, because they're going to die if they miss their lunch. Parents... I've done a lot of research on death by starvation. <laughs> and it takes the average person about 70 to 90 days to die from starvation. All right? Now, maybe your kid is going to get a little hungry. 
And you know what those hunger pains will do? Will travel up into their brain to realize it was their responsibility to bring their lunch, not mom and dad's. I mean, mom and dad make the lunch, pay for the lunch. The least I could do is, is take the lunch. It's amazing. I, I coached all my kids until they got into high school with all their different sports. And I had some parents who thought, I'm sure they thought I was the Antichrist and they wanted a, a different coach because I wouldn't let them carry their kids' stuff. I mean, we're not talking like, you know, 12-year-old baseball, that moms would come into the dugout and hang up the bag and get the cleats out and sit out. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Hey, not on my team. It doesn't happen. Your kid's 12. He can, he can carry it. He can set it up. He can shoot his own steroids. You know, uh, <laughs> get out of my dugout, Mrs. Armstrong. Um, <clears throat> activating responsibility. And here is the thesis statement. It's helping kids move from infantile dependence to healthy independence. What are some simple ways? You've you got to assign chores. I mean, make them age appropriate, but kids, when they, when they have chores, it helps them develop responsibilities and it promotes life skills and work ethic. And yes, you could do the job better yourself or hire it out. That's not the point. You're trying to help them become responsible. And obviously, and I've said it a couple of times, you've got to allow consequences. That when you're always bailing your kid out each time there's a dilemma, you're, you're wounding them. They need to experience consequences in order to be healthy. They have to understand that there's a relationship between what they do and what happens to them. And that's a good relationship. I put in your notes, I love this phrase, consequences build self-esteem. When kids realize that their behavior has consequences, here's what they learn. I have power and I have control. I don't always have to be the victim. I can be in control in this situation. I have power over those, those consequences. So let me try to make this really practical. And a matter of fact, how discipline and responsibility merge together. So... Uh, mom, you go out at 3.30 in the front yard, Jimmy's skateboarding, you say, Jimmy, you need to get in and do your geometry homework. And Jimmy says, Mom, I don't want to do my geometry homework, I want to skateboard. And you say, well, Jimmy, if you don't do your geometry homework, you're never going to be able to figure out the area within a trapezoid. <laughs> and Jimmy says, I can live with that. <laughs> Jimmy can live with that, right? Jimmy can live a very good life without ever figuring out the area within a trapezoid. I'm in my 50s. Nobody has ever my whole life asked me, hey, we got a whole bunch of trapezoids back here. Anybody willing to figure out the area within those trapezoids? At which point I would have said yes, but nobody's ever done that. Okay. So with that, then you go, well, Doug, there's a natural consequence, and the natural consequence is he will flunk his class. Jimmy doesn't care because Jimmy's going to be a professional skateboarder. <laughs> so this is when mom and dad, or sometimes those of you who are single parents, I told you this last week, the toughest job on the planet is being a single parent. But this is when mom and dad, when there is a natural consequence and it's ineffective, We've got to establish some fair discipline so Jimmy develops responsibility. Jimmy, if you flunk that class, 
you choose to flunk that class, you don't ride your skateboard until Jesus returns. Okay, or what, you know, whatever it is. Because if not, Jimmy will grow up to be a simpleton. In Proverbs 27, it says, A prudent person foresees the danger ahead and takes precaution. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Parents, we don't want to raise simpletons. We want to raise kids with competence and character and conviction and and compassion. So responsibility begins to be formed when, when they're little. And you as a parent follow through on the consequences connected to the boundaries. Or else kids don't learn anything about boundaries. So those of you with little kids and you play the counting game. What that means is get to three. Get to three. That's okay. And then allow them calmly to experience a consequence. Don't do the, don't let me get to the one, two. Maybe you don't, you're not hearing me. Do not let me get to three or there will be a cyclone of fury that comes out one, two, two point one, two points. You're, you're figuring out areas within a trapezoid. Get to three, all right? Get to three calmly and it may be inconvenient for you, but that's parenting. Okay? Let them experience the consequence. The goal is not to ruin their life. The goal is to help them develop. Does that make sense? Okay. There's a, a lot here. Serious, fun, delicate, disciplined, and activated responsibility. A lot to think about this week, a lot to pray about. I have a friend who told me, you know, Doug, when my kids were little, I used to talk to them a lot about God. As they got a little bit older, I started talking to God a lot about my kids. And I think that's a great way of saying it. I know some of you are here, and as a parent, you're tired, and you're wounded, and you're worried, and you feel inadequate, and you think, well, if we really loved our kids, you know, we'd just give them up for adoption. You know, uh, you, you lack hope, whatever it is, I... I invite, you to, I invite you to talk to God about your kids and about everything else. You know, one of the things that I do when, um, when I move into a time of prayer in my home office, I have a chair, and I have another chair right in front of it. And sometimes I sit in that chair, and I imagine, I imagine a conversation with God. I have, I just God is sitting right in that chair, and I realize for some of you that raises theological concerns, like should you have three chairs, you know, for Father, Son, the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit even need a chair, or does it hover, you know, whatever? For me, I, I picture God in the flesh as Jesus, in the person of Jesus, and, and um, he's, he's compelling, he's um, totally interested in me. He's warm. He's attracted to, to my heart. He's leaning in, excited to be there and to listening, just communicating this, this, this warmth. And a lot of times I do most of the talking, but um, sometimes I just, I just listen. If I don't know I have anything to say, I just listen. And I have imaginary conversations. And I'll, it's going to seem dumb to you, but here's one of my imaginary conversations where um, I see Jesus saying, Doug, you, uh, you, you make me laugh. Sometimes you're, you're really funny. And then I get this like, sense of pride that 
man, I, I made God laugh. How, how cool is that? Then he says, you know, Doug, some of your funniest stuff isn't even stuff that you say. And I go, I know, I know. <laughs> but I don't want to say it because I think it's too inappropriate. And then uh, Jesus says, well, it is. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, you know, some of the funniest stuff is the stuff that you do. I mean, like, the, it, it's funny, you know, you make me laugh that you think you can do CrossFit at your age. And uh, you, you make me laugh when you go to Costco just for free samples. Uh, you make me laugh that you think it's funny when people fall off their bike. Uh, and so we kind of have this moment of laughter. And then, and then Jesus settles in. And there's this warmth that radiates that, that I feel. And he says, Doug, I love you so, so much. And I love this time with you because I want to take our relationship to, to deeper, deeper places. And, and I know you think, Doug, that you know how much I love you because you're a parent and you love your kids. And that's cute, but my love's deeper. See, your love is finite. You have a limit to your love, but my love is infinite. And there is no depth. And I take all of that love and I direct it to you. It's a depth of love that you'll never be able to understand. And then I interrupt him. Okay, Jesus, are you saying I'm not smart enough? And he, he laughs, kind of a big laugh, like I caught him off guard, which I know I didn't because he's God. Uh, so he knew what I was going to say. So he's obviously exaggerating to make me feel better about myself. So that's kind of how, how it goes with me in, in, in prayer. But I share that with you because when I when I connect with God through prayer, through spending some time to reading about Jesus and what he taught and how he interacted, how God in the flesh modeled how to live for humanity, when I read that he wants to come in and totally transform my character and shape me into his, his likeness, I'm drawn to him. And the more I'm drawn to him, the more I, I fall in love with him and want to follow him and be more like him. And in this series, we have been we've been taking a look at a few words that are so powerful that we want to go deeply into your bones. They're found in Ephesians 5 verse 1 where it says, "Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children." Look at those four words, as dearly loved children. See, when that becomes your identity, everything changes. Okay? When that becomes your identity, that you're a dearly loved child of God, everything changes. For some of us in here, our identity is what we do. Your identity is where you live or what you drive or what's in your bank account. But if you could get your arms around the fact that your identity is you are a dearly loved child of God, everything changes. See, that's what helps our parenting. That's what helps our relationships. I could give you the best parenting tips in, in the world, and I want to be really helpful to you. But if you're parenting out of a broken identity or a wrong identity or a wounded identity, all my tips are going to fall short. But this is what I want you to get. People 
who know that they're dearly loved are able to love dearly. People who know that they're deeply loved and that's their identity, they're able to love deeply. I want to help your parenting. I do. I really want to help your kids. I want to help your kids be the benefactors of this content that we're talking about. But that's not what drives me. What drives me is that if you draw closer to God and you fall more in love with him and you sense his love for you, it'll change everything. Everything about you and your relationships and how you act. And God is not this distant deity that's out there that needs to be conjured up. He's here, loving you, laughing with you, grieving with you, hearing your cries. He's accepting of your, your faults and your failures. He's wanting you to know him in deeper ways because he has wisdom to help you in your relationships, specifically in your parenting. You are deeply loved. Let's pray together. Jesus, may we sense this as we leave here today, that we are deeply loved. Yes, Jesus, I pray that people are helped in their parenting. I, I pray that uh, even next week as we gather again and uh, look more at what we can do we do it all trusting that you do the impossible, that you enter our lives, that you transform us, that you partner with us, that you aren't some distant deity that needs to be conjured up, that you're right here living amongst us, and you've given us your power to change us. That's what we ask for in the name of Jesus. Amen.